What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Cat Brooks. Law enforcement in this country kills approximately 1,200 people every single year, and yet the names of many are never said or known except to their families and friends. What's more, law enforcement agencies and other state actors harm our community in a myriad of ways that also go unnoticed, like racial profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our people. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law and Disorder, we are going to do a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of December 5th, 2022. We kick off this week's roundup with news from my home state, Nevada, where incarcerated people are on a hunger strike in response to poor conditions inside the prison. Are there any other kind of conditions inside prisons? But I digress. About 40 people began the hunger strike on December 1st inside Nevada's Eli State Prison and have accused jail staff of improperly using solitary confinement, physically attacking inmates, and not properly providing inmates with access to appeal and grievance forms. Quote, we are requesting immediate intervention from the state in regards to correctional abuse and violence against prisoners by convening a group of stakeholders represented by prisoners' rights and human rights organizations, as well as impacted people advisory committees, legal experts, medical experts, and other community stakeholders to provide immediate oversight into the conditions in all Nevada prisons, correctional centers, and camps. End quote. That comes from Return Strong Nevada, a grassroots organization that says it is committed to deconstructing the prison industrial complex. Eli State Prison, by the by, is also where death row inmates are housed in the state of Nevada before being murdered. Source, oddly enough, is Fox News. In mid-October, a group of asylum seekers held in New Mexico's Torrance County Detention Facility were abruptly transferred for deportation. Detainees said it was in retaliation for participating in a hunger strike. Just days later, about two hours away at the Cibola County Correctional Center, an asylum seeker attempted suicide. According to advocates, at least 20 people held at Cibola have been on hunger strike since then, inspired by the recent protests at Torrance denouncing dangerous and inhumane conditions. Brutal retaliation has been reported at both facilities while ICE denies the hunger strikes are even taking place. Last week, advocates said in a press release four of the hunger strikers had fainted and at least two of the men were deported. Reports of psychological abuse, rampant medical neglect, poor or non-existent mental health care, inedible food, lack of potable drinking water, due process violations, and prolonged detention have been for years reported by asylum seekers and immigrants at Torrance and the attorneys and advocates supporting them outside. Despite the risks, asylum seekers and immigrants have considered Consistently come together to organize. At Torrance, their resistance only intensified after the August death by suicide of Kelsey Vial, a 23-year-old asylum seeker from Brazil. Ice transferred Vial to Torrance in April, and in the months leading up to his death, he expressed suffering from insomnia, depression, anxiety, poor appetite, and fear of being deported. Advocates said his death was triggered by the severe lack of mental health care and medical neglect that plagued Torrance. In late September, 13 asylum seekers detained at Torrance announced they had started the hunger strike. It lasted about two weeks until ICE placed two of the hunger strikers in solitary confinement and threatened others they'd wind up in the same place and be force-fed. In a statement, CoreCivic denied the hunger strike ever took place and said the allegations made by asylum seekers were false. But who are you going to believe? Striking migrant workers or people who make a living profiting off their torture and incarceration? Source, Maria Tarasana, Prism Reports. 
And surprise, surprise, fewer fatal police shootings are recorded by the federal government every year, despite renewed scrutiny of police use of force and millions of dollars spent to encourage local law enforcement to report the data. Even though federal records indicate that fatal shootings by police have been declining nationwide since 2015, the Washington Post Fatal Force Database, a database I use every single week, shows the opposite is true. Officers have shot and killed more people every year, reaching a record high in 2021 with 1,047 deaths. The FBI database contains only about one-third of the 7,000 fatal police shootings during this time, down from half when the Post first started tracking. Fatal shootings by officers and at least 2,250 police and sheriff's departments are missing from the past seven years of federal records, according to an analysis of the database maintained by the Post, which began tracking the killings in 2015. The excluded data has created a misleading government picture of police use of force, complicating efforts at accountability as if they weren't complicated enough. I mean, America doesn't even admit police need accountability. The incomplete data also obscures a racial discrepancy among those killed by law enforcement that is larger than the federal data suggests. Black people are fatally shot by police far more often than is evident in FBI data, the Post found, at more than double the rate for white people. Among the missing data, shootings by officers in 440 departments whose local governments received nearly $90 million in federal grants to track and report crime data. By the by, fun fact, the BREATHE Act that was drafted by Gina Clayton of the SE Justice Project would have dealt with this issue. They would have tied federal funding to local municipalities to the reporting of law enforcement murders of our people. But no such luck, Bill's dead. Um, Also missing from the data are shootings from another 700 departments. In at least 34 states, laws require police to report crime data to the state, but most of the laws are vague about whether police shootings must be included, offering minimal accountability at the state or local level. In California, for example, only half of departments' fatal police shootings appear in the FBI data. Source, Andrew Bartran, Melissa Itali, and Claire Healy of The Washington Post. And yay, finally a win for the folks. San Francisco officials voted Tuesday against a controversial measure that would have allowed police to deploy robots to use lethal force in extreme, air quotes there you all, situations, reversing course after public outcry against the policy. The about phase from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors comes a week after the board voted to approve the policy in an initial first reading vote, which prompted a protest at City Hall Monday with some holding signs that said no killer robots. I want you to think about that for a second, y'all. Used to be we were there holding signs that said no killer cops. Now, no killer robots as well. How many ways they're going to find to kill us? On Tuesday, the board voted to remove text pertaining to robots and the use of lethal force. Mayor London Breed still has to approve the general ordinance before it goes into effect. Supervisor Hillary Ronan praised the vote in a statement saying common sense prevailed. Quote, we stopped the use of killer robots in San Francisco today. The public outcry helped six supervisors fully appreciate the gravity of last week's vote and the numerous unanswered questions about both the ethics and practical implications of allowing police to use machines to kill human beings. End quote. The power truly does belong to the people, y'all. Tuesday's vote comes after the board voted 8-3 to last week to approve the measure, which would have given police the authority to use ground-based robots to kill, quote, when risk of loss of life to members of the public or officers is imminent and officers cannot subdue the threat after using alternative force options or de-escalation tactics, end quote. Read, the same old tired trope would have been used, I feared for my life. So, I sent a robot. At that same meeting, the San Francisco Police Department Assistant Police Chief described situations where the bomb-carrying robots would be deployed, one of which was for a suicide bomber. So they were going to send a bomb to blow up someone who was threatening to bomb themselves. Common sense indeed. Source, CNN. 
And in yet another example of why police should not be the lead responders in domestic violence calls, a man was shot by the Grand Junction Police Department when they responded to an IPV situation. The man fled on foot and was pursued by police. I'm assuming he was unarmed because there's no mention of a weapon, and that is always the first thing they mention, whether a weapon was actually present on the scene or not. The Grand Junction Police shot the man as he ran away to slow him down, I suppose. Hear my eyes rolling. He was transported to the hospital. Thank God he is not dead. And he was treated for his injuries. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of December 5th, 2022. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. A shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, who helped curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>